Oh, it is great to be here, but I just want to um, begin with a, a, a little story of two old uh, friends called Vic and Ross, and uh, they, were, they were terribly good friends. Uh, they've been friends their whole lives, lived in a little village like the one I live in at the moment, just you know, 800 people or whatnot, but the, 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 the thing about our village is that the centre of the place is, is the cricket pitch. And uh, we have, we're raising money. There's only 800 people in this village. But we've, we're raising money uh, as hard as we can for a new cricket pavilion because, of course, that's the most important thing uh, to anybody in the village. And these two old guys, Vic and Ross, uh, they'd loved cricket their whole life. They'd played juniors together, then they'd played seniors. And then when they got too old to play, you know, they were treasurer and chairman of the cricket club and so on. Anyway... Uh, Vic was uh, coming to the end of his days, he was dying, and uh, his friend Ross came to visit him, and he said, uh, Vic, you know, they were remembering old times, Vic, when you go to heaven, um, I want you to uh, somehow come back and tell me if they play cricket in heaven. I don't know how you'll do it, but please, just tell me if they play cricket in heaven. And Vic says, Ross, my old friend, I'll do my best. Anyway, Vic dies. And a few nights later, Ross is in bed and this voice comes, Ross, Ross. And uh, who is it? He says, uh, it's Vic. And Vic, oh, you've come back. Fantastic. Uh, have you got news? Yes, I have good news and bad news. And goes, oh, what's the good news? The good news is there is cricket in heaven. It's brilliant. It's like springtime all year round. Uh, the pitch is perfect. All our old chums are here. It's brilliant. It's so good. And, and uh, of course, um, Ross is in bed going, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. Well, what's the bad news? And he says, you're opening the batting on Tuesday. <laughs> now, there are a couple of things, I think. That kind of joke goes around and it's a bit lame and things. There's a couple of things that it kind of points to, though, for us, doesn't it? Uh, first thing, I think people are genuinely interested in what life's going to be like uh, after this, at the end, what's, what's the future going to hold beyond death? Um, that's one thing. The other thing uh, that I think is important to take away from a joke like that is we ought never learn our doctrine from jokes uh, or, or stories or, or silly anecdotes. Uh, there's so many things wrong with that story uh, as opposed to reality that you know to list them would be too many. But the worrying thing is that's where a lot of people do get their knowledge of the future or what they think it's going to be like. Uh, they have fluffy ideas that they get from TV commercials. And uh, So I'm, I'm an Anglican minister. I, I do a lot of funerals and you hear these things that are said at funerals. And where did that idea even come from that that person thinks is going to happen uh, afterwards? And so um, there are all these kind of uh, hopeful imaginations about what's going to happen, and we have this genuine curiosity about it. So the, the, the thing that we really desperately need is reliable information about what's going to happen at the end, about life after death. Uh, we need the truth. And of course, only God can give us the truth. So over this weekend, uh, we're going to be looking at God's word to us about the end, about what's going to be happening at the end times. What will it be like what will happen? When will it happen? Um, how will we be affected? And in kind of geeky language, theological terms, this, this 
weekend would be called eschatology, which is just the study of the end, uh, according to the Bible. But I want to just raise the question, is this just to tweak our curiosity, something that's nice to know that we'll study this? Um, is it, or is it more important? Well, I want to suggest that eschatology, study of the end, knowing what the future will be, is actually, it's a structural doctrine for Christianity, the end times. Uh, and it's very important for us to get this right. Uh, and for a couple of reasons. Um, I say structural doctrine, I, I don't own a house and I've never done home renovations, but I've watched a lot of TV and there are those shows on TV and sometimes you see people who are doing renovations and they, they get the sledgehammer out and they knock down the structural wall and the, kind of the whole thing falls apart. Well, that's the way we ought to see this doctrine in terms of Christianity. Because without um, a knowledge of the end, without certain hope of what's going to be, um, actually, the whole thing starts to, to lose its, its integrity. Uh, are there any engineers? Perhaps engineers will be able to fill us in more on uh, how this works. Good, good. Uh, over, over coffee later, <laughs> you can correct all my uh, engineering <coughs> foibles. But uh, the, um, it's a structural doctrine because without it, really what's left? Kind of shallow morality. Uh, but it's important also because, the second reason it's important, is because it has very practical consequences for the way that we live. Right here and now, all that stuff in the future makes a big difference to right here and now. Uh, it's not just establishing the reality for interest's sake. It's establishing reality because we will live according to that reality. Uh, actually, what will happen then will affect what happens now. And, and I'll give you an example of uh, how kind of going wrong this way changes the way that you think. So when I was a teenager, those years ago, uh, I lived near the beach. I liked to surf. And my youth group leaders liked to surf too. And I remember them describing to me that heaven was like this endless wave. Did any of your youth group leaders say that to you? Probably not in England. <laughs> An endless wave and you just surf, you know, forever. How good would that be? I thought that was brilliant. But what did that mean that life, I, I, I wanted to do in life? Well, more surfing. Uh, because that's what, that's what I was looking forward to. And, and it was really a, a wrong impression to give. The way we approach uh, eschatology um, will shape... What we understand of eschatology will shape the way we live. Okay, but I want to highlight a couple of dangers before we get into um, today's kind of, well, tonight's brief uh, overview of the return of Christ. And the first is that um, the Bible talks about these things which are really quite hard for us to grasp using pictures a lot of the time. And one of the dangers is uh, that Christians often fall into is to take sometimes these pictures too literally. Or else, uh, and so um, this picture, um, rather than just being a picture, it becomes the reality. And the picture points to a truth, but we need to remember a lot of the time it's just pictures. The other thing that we could do is to emphasise one picture at the expense of all the others, and sometimes that happens as well. So uh, what I want us to remember is the Bible, these things are hard for us to get in our head um, because it's not our reality 
But the Bible gives a true picture and we can certainly get the truth of the vibe of what's going to happen, if that makes sense. Uh, But that's just a warning for us. Okay, so if we turn to uh, our topics this weekend, we're looking at four R's I've divided in, really five R's. Um, But they're four R's. The return, return of Christ, the resurrection of, of the dead, the reckoning of all people, and, and then retribution goes with that. And then the fourthly, the renewal of all things. Uh, but in, in each of those uh, themes, there's one more thing that I want to highlight. And this is kind of the grounding of our whole weekend. Well, why, will, why will you believe... Um, what I have to say. Why would you believe what the Bible has to say about any of this stuff? Is it just make-believe? Well, the fact is that we can be sure about the end uh, because the end has already begun, (laughs) if you like. Uh, We can know that it's the truth because it's already started, uh, these things. God has made a down payment on the things that are going to happen at the end in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, take those, those topics I just said, uh, we can be sure that Christ will come again because Christ has already come. And, and we can be sure uh, that there will be a resurrection from the dead because Christ has been raised from the dead. And we can be sure that there will be um, a judgment because Christ has been there. And we can be sure that there will be a renewal of all things because through Christ that's already begun. And so this is what, again, in geeky terms, people would call inaugurated eschatology. It's begun. It's not, it's not complete, it's not made its climax, but it's begun, it's started. And uh, we know this to be the case because Jesus has already come. The beginning of the end has happened. And so when we talk about the last days, we can really truly say, we live in the last days. We live in these times. And so in the New Testament we find this tension between what's already begun and what's yet to come. And so we need to remember that as we look at these topics. Uh, We live in the last days. We've been going on for a couple of thousand years (laughs) and we don't know how many more days there will be but we know that they're the last days. And it's important to keep that tension in mind because if we uh, go either way... um, either side of that truth, then we'll fall into error. So sometimes people have what's called an under-realised eschatology, which means that they, th- they don't think anything's happened yet and they're waiting for it all to happen at the end. And so they don't expect any change in the world, they don't expect to do anything, they're just waiting for it all to come. On the other hand, people have what's called an over-realised eschatology. They think too much of the promises of the end they should get now. And so perhaps you've heard of... Um, the prosperity gospel, where people say, um, if you become a Christian, you'll get more money and you'll be healthy and you'll be smarter and you know, everything will go well for you. Well, that's, that's an, they're expecting too much of the end time blessings now. They've, they've skewed the biblical picture of what the Christian life is like, actually. Uh, and another example would be, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, sinless perfectionism sometimes has cropped up in the, in the church. People think that actually in this life they've overcome sin. They don't sin anymore. Charles, Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher a uh, hundred years ago, um, once had someone in his study who said that um, he'd overcome sin, hadn't sinned for three years. 
And Spurgeon um, got up from his desk, behind his desk, and he's a big guy, and he kind of walked around to this guy, and, and then he stamped on his foot, and the guy kind of flew off into a rage. What do you do that for? And he said, you know, get rid of any pretensions that you have of being sinless. <laughs> and, and it's right, isn't it? You, there are certain things that we can't actually <coughs> expect to overcome now. We can make progress. We're not going to be sinless. That's something for the future. But this is the point I'm making. It's begun, but we wait for the end. Okay, so let's uh, keep this balance in mind as we, um, we look at the Bible. And we're going to use what's left of tonight's time to look at the return of Christ. Okay, what's going to happen at the end? Well, Christ will return. And when I say that, I, I, we're not in the realm in terms of um, Bible study of speculative theology. This is not kind of some extrapolation that we've made because of some other truth and somewhere over here we've drawn it all together and we've come to this conclusion. When we talk about Jesus coming back, this is a dominant theme in the New Testament. It talks explicitly about Jesus coming back over 250 times in the New Testament. And uh, all the main writers of the New Testament speak about it. It's there in all the Gospels, the Acts, in Paul's letters... It's in Hebrews and James and it's in Peter's letters. It's in John's letters. Of course, it's there in Revelation. All the way through the New Testament, it's talking about Jesus coming back. But what exactly is being taught? Well, the first thing I want to do is just to look at some of the vocabulary that's used uh, when the Bible talks about Jesus coming back. Um, and there's, there's three words that I want to highlight. The first word um, is a Greek word, parousia, which just means the coming. And so, uh, let me give you an example. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his second coming. And the idea there is this, this idea of arrival, of presence. He'll be here uh, at the end. And uh, it's going to be a, a definitive and decisive event when he comes back. That's the New Testament teaching. And so it's going to be really in complete contrast to his first coming, when he came so humble as a, as a tiny baby in a, in a small town, in a small province, in the end of the world. Um, you know, three wise men and a couple of shepherds, we've seen that scene. The second coming is the complete opposite of that. Now, the Bible talks about it being in power and glory. So, uh, those verses that we had, at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This is going to be a climactic event for world history. Christ's splendour will be seen for everyone. He's going to overthrow his enemies uh, when he comes back. So, again, back in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendour of his coming. Just by coming, the enemies of God will be done away with. So, we've got this decisive moment in history when Jesus comes. Uh, that's, that's the word parousia. The next word, apocalypsis, which just means revelation. And the New Testament uh, talks, uses this word to talk about Jesus' return. So, an example would be 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, he's talking to the Corinthians and he says that they, they should be encouraged to eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. 
And at his second coming, um, he'll, be made, he'll be known more fully. Uh, God, we'll be able to see God more fully. In 1 Peter, likewise, Paul says, oh, sorry, Peter says, um, the, the Christians are told that uh, how they live will result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so it will show the world who he really is at his second coming, <coughs> fully knowing him. They'll, they'll understand this glory and power that's associated with Christ. So you've got Perusia, you've got Apocalypsis. Uh, the, the third word I want to highlight is uh, Epiphania, which just means the manifestation, like Epiphany. Uh, and what that word, it's kind of related to Revelation, but uh, uh, an example is it's used in uh, Titus um, chapter 2, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. And, and what this word means is there's kind of going to be a universal acknowledgement of Jesus. Um, the word describes kind of the drawing back of the curtains. Imagine the beginning of the play and that there you see the scene. And so at the moment, it is possible for people to ignore Christ. It's possible for people to mock Christ. Um, to deny Christ. But at the time of his return, those things will be impossible because he will be revealed, he'll be made manifest to everybody who he is. It won't be possible anymore. The curtain that hid him from people before will be drawn back and he will be on display for the whole world to see. So there are three words to help us understand what the return of Christ is going to be like. Well, what else can be said? When's this going to happen? <laughs> you might ask. When? And uh, that's a good question, and it's a question that it seems to me Christians from every generation, some Christians, have got wrong. They've gone beyond the Bible teaching and trying to answer that. And there's all kind of been all kinds of theories of why Jesus will return at this point or this point. And so, just before I came over to England. Um, in Australia, well, in America, there was a guy called Harold Campling. I don't know if he had quite the impact here, but in Australia, he predicted that, the, that Jesus was coming back. Um, I wrote the date down: twenty-first of May, two thousand eleven. And so, in the months before this, his friends and followers they went crazy. There were billboards on the highways of Australia, drove into Sydney. You know, twenty-first of May, Judgment Day, Jesus returns, and stuff like that. And, you know, they were full on. I mean, they were earnest. I, I don't doubt that. But um, there's, they were kind of, they got the Bible wrong. They were a bit deluded because they'd missed his teaching. And anyway, because 21st of May came, Howard Camping said, oh, I did my dates wrong. It must be 21st of October 2011. Anyway, that came and went. And, and, and this happens, all, and it's not just in our time, and it's not just Americans. You can go to Wikipedia... <laughs> There are dates going all the way back through human history because um, Christians have always thought that their time was the most important. But what does the Bible say? Well, of course, clearly the Bible says Jesus is going to return on Tuesday this week. No, just joking. Now, the Bible says we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. That, was that, uh, that passage that we um, had before about the day and the hour, this is Mark chapter 13, that Christie, Kirsty read for us, uh, about the day and the hour, 
No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Okay? So, you find someone who says it's going to happen on Tuesday, don't listen to them. It's alright, they're just joking, so keep listening to me. Okay. So, it's going, to, it's going to happen, it's going to be decisive. The Bible says, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet will sound. And then the world will be wound up, and uh, Jesus' return, and then everybody will acknowledge who he is, and it's going to be a, a great and wonderful day, an awe-inspiring day. So, uh, I mean... What can we say, just kind of wrapping up these ideas? Well, the first thing to say is that we can't make this kind of full description of this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. The Bible just says it's not going to be like that. But we can say true things about what's going to happen. Decisive, climactic, um, all of humanity. It's going to be sudden, it's going to be unexpected. These are all things that we can say about Christ's return. But as we close... Uh, I just want to return back to what does that Christ return actually mean for you and me right here and now? Okay? Well, just return to that passage that we had read, what Jesus says it should mean for you and me. Uh, he says, On that day no one knows, not even the angels nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know what, the time, what, to, what that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, That's what Jesus is saying to you and I about his return. Watch. Be on your guard. Be ready. Um, Since we've been here, we've had um, my parents and my wife's parents come and visit us and we go and pick them up at Heathrow. The thing about coming out of an airport is everybody, you don't really know when the, it says arrived or something, you don't really know when they're going to, it takes those customs people, especially from Australia, you know, all these EU, all the people that, uh, you know, we helped you fight the war against, they all just come through the EU queue and we kind of queue up with the rest of the world, right? <laughs> so you can take hours. Anyway, and so you're standing there and there's this door that opens out and these people are coming through and you, you can't wait. You can't wait to see these loved ones again and you stand at the rail. Um, last time I went with the, my kids, we stood there waiting for their grandparents, just looking, people after people. But we kept watching. The moment that it was the grandparents, you know, the run and the cuddle. Well, Jesus is saying, keep watch. I don't know. Um, I don't know any of you really. I've met a couple of you. I know Kirsty's name. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how you've come to this weekend, actually. Um, how your Christian life is going at the moment. Um, whether you're kind of on fire or whether you're in a bit of a slumber. Um, perhaps you're in the doldrums. Perhaps a whole lot of compromise has crept in. Um, you've given way to sin in various areas. You're letting slip. Um, you, you're kind of wandering away. Well, just hear this word. 
as you think about Jesus' return, he says, keep watch, be ready. Snap out of the slumber. I know that it's 10 o'clock at night, but be ready for him. And not just that. Now the Bible tells us to, in light of his coming, encourage one another in our readiness. So in Hebrews chapter 10, now we read this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. And then just a little later, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. So because Jesus is coming, we need to keep watch, we need to encourage each other to keep watch, to spur each other on, to stand at that gate and wait, wait for him to come. You know, like I've said, I'm not sure uh, when that day will be, but I know that every day that goes by, it's one day closer. It's one day closer to Jesus coming back. And so we need to be ready. So let's pray that we will be. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you've promised that Jesus will return. And Father, we pray that in our lives, in the busyness of the things that we're doing and the activities, we will keep watch, we'll be ready, we'll be waiting expectantly for that wonderful day. And we pray, Lord, that uh, as we learn together over this weekend, that we will encourage one another to keep watch also. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.